everybody. Welcome to the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. In this episode, Patrick McCartney is going to go one-on-one with Alex Bays. Alex Bays was a writer for Saturday Night Live, writing the weekend update segment for a number of years before becoming head writer for Seth Meyers and Late Night. Pat and Alex are going to talk about his life at Saturday Night Live and Late Night, and they're going to talk about his roots, going from Arizona to Chicago in the 90s. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this one-on-one between Patrick McCartney and Alex Bays on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've got Alex Bays. Um, Hello. Hi, Alex. Why don't you go ahead and tell us all the remarkable achievements you've you've made? And you can do it humbly, and then I'll add to it. I made brownies without a mix. And oh my God, they were so good. So good. No walnuts. Um, what are my achievements? I'm currently the head writer and a producer at Late Night with Seth Meyers. My man. My favorite achievement. That's a pretty great achievement. I was the producer for Weekend Update for three mm-hmm. years, wrote there for 10 years. And boy, are my arms tired. Hello. So I was just, um, I heard this morning you guys are off this week at Seth Meyers' show. <laughs> we are surprising. Yeah, we weren't supposed to be off. And then Seth Meyers got the COVID. Mm. And so off we are um for this week and then next week i think we'll be remote um, we have done so many different manifestations of a show now in yeah. the studio You're... with an audience at home with no audience in the studio without an audience in the studio with an audience and uh, i don't know what next week's going to look like he might be in the studio there might be an audience we won't be there there won't be a band um, we're just trying to see how many different ways you can do the same project. Wow. Is it, do you find it exciting or do you find it frustrating? With the tech, now you can do it remote with relative ease. Um, it is better, as you know, if you're trying to write something with a team, if you can look at people. <laughs> when they're pitching yeah. their ideas or be in the room when a joke is read to see if people laugh or shift in their seats. Right. That all helps. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I bet it's challenging too in that when there's no audience in the room, as you know, we did it without an audience for 10 months. And for a while, you go on your memory of what an audience likes. And you're like, oh, they, mm-hmm. yeah, an audience would have liked that or an audience wouldn't go for this. And after a while you forget. Yeah. And you're just like, well, this was funny to three people. Mm -hmm. So here it goes. 
And then uh, we found that it slowly morphed into just trying to make the crew laugh, mm -hmm. which changed the material a lot. Suddenly a lot more jokes about uh, the Mets being bad. Mm. <laughs> and I don't want to stereotype the crew, but... Uh, no, I know. I hear it. Yeah. Stereotypes are accurate. They like, they watch the Mets. They watch... One of the writers, when he was playing just to you all, what was he joking about? Well, there was never an occasion where he was just playing to us because the writers don't come in. Oh. And even when all was normal, um, they didn't go to the show. The writers oh. would go home before the taping. And I'm pretty sure a lot of them didn't watch the show. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times someone would submit a monologue joke and I would say, we did that joke yesterday, word for word. Wow. And they would just be like, oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was great. You have to be there, though, right? During every taping? Um, yes. Although, you know, when it was remote, nobody could be there. So there were a lot of times where, you know, you write the show from home. You compile all the material via emails and send it in. And, you know, I'd watch like a rehearsal or watch uh, Seth read cue cards in his dressing room. And then that's it. And then see you tomorrow. <laughs> So there are shows that I wrote and never saw. When he's doing it alone, is he, he's got his own setup, I guess, in his, yeah. his house? Early, in the early months of uh, remote shooting, he slowly built up, like he was shooting it on an iPad. Wow. And, you know, like reading <laughs> off a sheet of paper. And then he figured out how, he, there's a teleprompter app you can uh, download from somewhere. I don't know. So he had huh. then, then he had a computer with a teleprompter on it, uh, an iPad as a camera. Eventually, he bought like a real camera, a real digital camera, and so he had a home studio set up in his attic. <laughs> and you could see like wasps flying by his head. You could see him pouring sweat because it was super hot in the attic. It was very weird, man. <laughs> That's some weird shit, man. That's uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. What about the re um the rest of your staff? How you would meet over Zoom? I guess you. How do you run a show as the head writer? Um, it very <laughs> uh, catch as catch can. I you know the first few years we did the show, I almost went insane because I would try to go into the writers' room and order what I wanted. You know, mm. I, I, I want a piece about this. Uh, and I mm. figured out the way to do it is not like a restaurant, but like a grocery store. Uh, just go into the writer's room, <laughs> see what they have. <laughs> I can, okay, I can make a, something out of this. Yeah, you take what you want and you leave the rest. Yeah, but early I on I was like, I want exactly this. And of course you can't tell somebody how to write something. How did you learn that? How did you, do you remember, was there a moment, was there a... Were you just like, this is more effective? There was, uh, you know, there were a few like happy organic accidents that happened early on that were instructive. There's a mm -hmm. segment we do uh, called Jokes Seth Can't Tell, mm -hmm. which is uh, Jenny and Amber will tell jokes about being black or gay, respectively. Mm -hmm. But the way it came about is that, you know, I think a lot of young writers do this. They don't write for the host. They write jokes they would want to say. Mm -hmm. uh, I passed Jenny in the hallway one day. Jenny Hagel, okay. who uh, now runs Amber's show and still works on our show. Uh, ah, cool. Who is a lesbian. 
and mm -hmm. wrote she had written a ton of monologue jokes where the punchline was offensive if you were not a lesbian telling the joke <laughs> right um and she you know self-aware pointed at me and was like if you need any more lesbian jokes let me know i was like i love them but we can't use them Mm -hmm. It's like, why not? And it's like, he can't go out there with his straight male face and mm -hmm. make fun of lesbians building decks. And, mm -hmm. and so she was like, oh, weird. Okay. And then she came to me later and was like, what if I told them? And it was a little setup called Jokes I Can't Tell. I was like, okay, neither one of us had that idea. It kind of grew out of a problem we had mm. or a miscommunication. So I was like, oh. Sure. So then you start keeping an eye open for that kind of thing. Right. Where it's like, oh, this works. Uh, people like Seth when he behaves this way. Let's write something where he has to behave that way. You know, you start to just sort of find stuff. Before, before I forget, I should ask you the question that every student I know will, will want me to ask, which is how do, you, how do you get a job writing for a late night talk show? Wow. The answer to that has changed mm -hmm. so much. <laughs> Since yeah. I first got a job writing 17 years ago. Right. Um, now it is you uh, are very funny on TikTok mm -hmm. and develop a following. Wow. You know, the uh, it's, it's such a weird thing to say, but the answer to that is different for every show there is. Right. It's different for every writer there is. The people mm -hmm. who came to our show came from such a weird variety of paths. Right. There was one guy, Brian Donaldson who just, you know, wrote funny jokes on Twitter, and I had followed him for a while. And when <clears> we were looking for monologue people, I was like, oh, what about that guy? Um, you know, the picture on his Twitter avatar, I was like, oh, he's like a little nebbishy comedy writer type based on right. his photo, his tiny grainy photo. Mm -hmm. um, so we called him up, we called him in. Uh, it turns out he's a big hulking Midwestern guy who was working IT in Peoria. Wow. And uh, we were like, oh, okay. Well, do you want the job? He's like, well, it's, you know, it's a lateral move for me financially, but I've always wanted to do this. That is so wild. Okay. So he's like, you know, came in fully green. Wow. But brought such an interesting perspective. You know, we just hired Jeff Wright, who only is known from TikTok, mm -hmm. uh, but it was so good in those, like, really 30 second sketches that he put together where he plays different people inside the same sketch We're like great that's one way oh is that the guy with the long hair no jeff wright he's a black man very charming oh, okay. and very uh handsome gentleman with a million dollar smile okay okay some people we were just referred by other talk shows um you know, people had a little bit of a resume, but most of the people who came in were pretty green and came from weird places. That's awesome. That reminds me of when I used to do um, Conan show when I would do sketches and bits on that show. The writers were all like just a whole it was like a, a variety. You got guys like Tommy Blacha and then you had, you know, the Chicago people. Sure. Um, let's talk about you. You when I met you, I remember I met you in Chicago in the <clears throat> 90s. And I think I was already there and you came from Arizona with a whole Arizona crew. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, for whatever reason, there was a little trickle of people who came. We had been doing comedy in Arizona. Yeah. What was the name of the place you used to do it? Um, well, there were a few places. There was Comedy Corner was the college group. Right, right. Um, 
which was, you know, one of those, another happy accident. <laughs> the fact that we were doing a live comedy show at noon in the student union was a great boot camp. Mm-hmm. Most of us thought, like, oh, this will be fun. We'll fuck around. We'll get drunk. And that was you and, like, Pete Marietta? Pete Marietta right? came out of there. Mm-hmm. Pete Marietta is a writer. Writer, producer. Mm-hmm. Wiz- Wizards of Waverly Place, mm-hmm. uh, most famously. But he's created several shows. Pete Marietta, Drew Ansis. Drew Ansis. The wonderful Drew Ansis, who's a mutual friend of ours. And we love very much, who uh, I think was mostly in it for the social game. Sure. He just likes to have fun, and he'll go where people are having fun. And in the 90s. That was Chicago in the 90s. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you get there, and we meet, we get put on a team together the victim's family yes I'm a herald team right now looking at the uh our team photo that i tore off the wall right thank goodness you tore that off i want to get a copy i think you gave me a copy of that once and i lost it and i don't know but that's you me rick roman may he rest in peace adam mckay miles stroth mm-hmm. and who's the other one like that's all that's in the photo. <laughs> I think we well, that, maybe that. had like Michelle Cole with us for a while. All right, Michelle Cole. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's where you're. So you're learning improv. So you. I don't know if we were in class together, but when you're in improv class, what's your what? What's the path? What's wh- why are you in Chicago? Mostly because of Pete Marietta. Mm. Um, he was a very good salesman for his own path. <laughs> so like whatever he was doing. He was pretty mm. sure it was a good idea for you, too. And so cool. he sold me on coming to Chicago. Wow. Uh, he was doing Second City or studying there. Right. right. And was kind of like, you know, life-altering for him. And I was like, great, I'll go there and do that, too. And I went there, and I did Second City classes for one uh, six-week chunk or whatever it is. And then my check bounced for the second six weeks. And I said, mm-hmm. well, where else can I go? And yeah. uh, somebody told me about Improv Olympic, and I was like, great, it's cheaper, and I can get on stage more, I'll go there. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think my maybe my very first class was with Dull, mm. and then I was like, oh, this is, he is very serious about this. Right. And then, you know, his attitude about it, and the attitude that he inspired in his students sort of made you think like, oh, this is a thing to study. Right. Not just fuck around and have fun with. It's like, oh, we're mm-hmm. learning how to do it. And there is a how to do it, which I I didn't expect that. Walking into improv, I was like, oh, the joy of this is I don't have to get ready. Right. I don't have to prepare or study or learn. Great. Uh, <laughs> but then I got there and I was like, oh, there, there are rules. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to do it. And there's a way to absolutely not do it. Right. And I think like his class as Fucking weird as it was. Mm-hmm. What were some of the weird things that you experienced in this class? There were days where you would go in and immediately he'd be like, all right, everybody, pair off. And uh, we're going to do two minute scenes and then I'll critique you to death. And there were other <laughs> days he would just go. One time I did acid with Roddy McDowell. <laughs> Talk for three hours. Tell stories. <laughs> or fall asleep or something and then you'd leave yeah. and you'd be like well i didn't learn anything yeah but it was all like part of this weird tapestry he was putting together maybe mm. half intentionally um mm-hmm. but uh 
There were a lot of moments. If you did something right, he got so excited. Yeah. And, you know, he was that, that kind of teacher that makes you want to get things right more often. Yeah, he definitely wanted to. I mean, I wanted to please, oh, please him. Oh, yeah. Even though I'm not sure what that meant. But to get a positive from him was was a, was a thrill. Just because, oh, my God, he's paying attention. Yes. And, I got, I, and I got one right. And I, would, I saw him, like, excoriate people who did it wrong. What kind of things would he do um, when he was correcting people? <laughs> um, it, usually he would like just he would see his whole body sort of collapse in disappointment. Mm-hmm. He would just like wave them off the stage or something. Mm-hmm. One time, there was some opening that he was trying to teach us where we would tell a part of a story, a true story from our lives, right? So somebody on stage told a little story and the next person stepped up and said, that's nothing. Listen to this. And Mm. Dell went crazy on him for like Mm. dismissing the other person's story. Hmm. Um, Just really screamed him silly. Wow. And, you know, it, it was really, you know, dismissing somebody else's statement or point of view was very antithetical to Dell. <laughs> he just lost it. And I was like, oh, this is also important? I know it's hard and confusing and has rules, but it's important now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, <laughs> and those classes would shed students because, you know, he's fucking weird. And yeah. a lot of people who went to those classes were like ad guys who wanted to get better at presentations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still got them. We still got them. We still got them. They still show up to improv class. I remember we had a lawyer who like wanted to be better at arguments. And like, oh, <laughs> argument. <laughs> You're not going to get far with arguments. No. <laughs> I'm here because I want to get better at fighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, within a few weeks, you'd have just, like, loyalists, improv loyalists. Uh, it yeah. was a good way to cook it down. Did you see the documentary on him? I didn't. It's I think on, I was uh, at a point where I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm a little saturated with comedy and improv and lore. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the one that is on for, for Mad Men only, which is, I think it's on Hulu. I was also, like, I didn't want to watch it. I, I was felt very similar to, to the way you feel. And I watched it and what I learned was how how he was working on the Herald for so long. I mean, I guess I didn't know that. And he was doing it at Second City, like after dark or like after the show. And like they have footage of those classes, like this very strange, almost security camera like footage. That's wild. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. I just I, I was very impressed with how determined he was to to figure this thing out. It's great. I mean, he had to be insane. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I mean, think think I guess just in just the right way. Well, I didn't know the Mike Nichols thing. Like he was he had a thing for Elaine May, and did you know that? I that whole he story? probably told us in class. Or uh, took acid. With Elaine May. One time, John Belushi walked in and he was upside down. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. He said that. Sometimes. Yes. Speedballing. I remember speedballing. 
That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I remember meeting you, and I remember thinking almost instantly that this is one of the funniest people I've ever known. Oh, come on. And it was, like, weird, because our lives, we, I mean, I, I was friends with Drew, who knew you, and then we all sort of hung out in the same crowd, and I was always like, Alex, when is Alex going to take off? When is he going to work? Like, I knew, and I'm not saying this, I just... This is a fact. Like, I knew that Alex Bays was supposed to be writing for TV, and I was completely right. So I'm going to pat myself on the back. No, good job. Um, I, um, I wish you would have told me. Well, I did! Over and over you again! You did, you did. That's true. You were very energetic yeah. about it. My problem was that um, I never in my life have thought I was ready for anything. Right. Um I was raised in trouble. I was born in trouble. Like when I was born, they were like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Oobly. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, sorry. I'm like, well, you can make it up to us forever. <laughs> I just assumed like, oh, I'm not, you know, and being there at that time, looking around, I was like, I'm not the funniest guy here. Right. There are superstars in this group and, right. and they're not writing for tv they're here but of course they're all having all everyone's having that same internal dialogue it's just it's just so you get to the point where you you are starting to i remember we were so we're out of chicago we're in la mm -hmm. and you're starting to get active as far as submitting and writing and what is your what is sort of the what was the moment or what was the catalyst well, that at that time, it really seemed like there was no way in. Right. I, you know, I'm obviously there is. How how old were you when you were hired? I was thirty seven, <laughs> thirty seven when I got hired in SNL. Like thirty two, I got my first interview, mm -hmm. um, and uh, didn't get the gig. But they told me at that first interview because I was writing sketch. You know, I thought I was going to be a sketch writer. Um, and at that first interview, they're like, oh, close, but no dice. But if you want, you can fax jokes to Weekend Update. And I, ah. I knew enough to be like, oh, I'll, I'll do that every week. So at least my name will be on somebody's desk mm. once a week. And maybe something will spark. Um, and I did that for five years. So how do you get the initial interview? What did you do for that? The initial, you know, I'm trying to remember. It was Adam McKay came to L.A. Ah. one time. Right. And he was he was head writer at the time. Head writer at the time. And he already had other irons in the fire. Um, <clears throat> and he, you know, had boundless energy and enthusiasm. For right. Comedy in general. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he had said to me, like, when are you going to submit something? And I was like, oh, I don't think I'm ready. And he's like, you're ready. You're fine. You know, mm. Very sort of dismissive. Like, yeah, no, you're good enough. <laughs> okay. I'll, so I'll do it. I'll submit a packet. And I did. And, you know, he had obviously said, like, this is my friend. Call him in for an interview. Because <laughs> there was a... I don't know that everyone loved him that much at SNL. At that time. Yeah. Um, you know, he came in loud. So every, I had two interviews, and they both started with, oh, you're Adam's friend. <laughs> and I was like, oh, boy, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I walked out knowing I wasn't getting it. Mm. They, you know, they did the very perfunctory interviews. 
and it was like, I'm not blaming him for not getting hired, but it was <laughs> it was clear that like yeah, if they had already you know, a lot of these gigs I'm learning, they have already hired people in their heads before they interview people. Sure. Um, I'm sure true in every business. But yeah. I was like, okay, they're going to probably hire that guy. Um, the guy who went out to dinner <laughs> with them after the interview. Yeah, the guy's waiting. <laughs> Not me at the Sheraton. But yeah, it was the faxing jokes in that really got me in the door. So you're you're 32, you have your first interview. They're like, we're not now, but you can fax jokes. Yeah. And 32 for so many people feels like, uh, you know, old. At that time, it seems old to us. And then you get hired at 37. So if any students are listening to this, hope, hope is there. Yeah. Just keep yeah. it up. You can't, yeah. yeah, it's it's one thing. You can't only hope. You have to. no, no. You have to do it. Yes, you have to also type. <laughs> so you're type. So you're so you're. You spend uh, thirty two to thirty seven. So you spend. I spent five years back in L.A. Wow, waiting tables, subbing your substitute teacher. You're waiting tables at that Greek place. <laughs> this is that was all Chicago. In L.A., I was waiting tables at Louise's on Larchmont. Okay, um, and you know a couple other places, just sort of like. Mm -hmm. Very L.A., scraping by, <laughs> car with no brake. Yeah, that place we lived in was a a dump. It was a dump. Oh. Kenmore Avenue in Koreatown in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay, so you're every week you're you're right. You're sending in new jokes. I mean, you would start hearing them on the show. I sent in jokes every week. The whole first season, I got one joke on the air, um, and it was fucking exhilarating. Oh my god, yeah. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember the first joke I ever got on. Okay. Um, but then, like, the second year, I had, like, three jokes got on. This is a, in 22 episodes. You know, 22 weekend updates, I got three jokes on. And you're submitting every week. Every week. You know, really right slaving on. over it because they, you know, they give you a limit. So you can't just send them, like, pages and pages. I think it was 15 mm -hmm. jokes. Mm -hmm. And they have 40 people doing this at the time, faxing yeah. jokes in. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, I'll just be a consistent guy. Because they had told me that, you know, there's 40 people on this list. They don't all do it every week. And I was like, oh, I'll, t I'll be the guy who does it every week. Maybe that'll be something. Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to grab onto something. Third year, yep. starting to get more jokes on. And the, by the fifth year, I had at least one joke on every weekend update. And who's hosting Weekend Update? Uh, by that point, it's Tina and Jimmy. You know, and I'm submitting a packet every year. Every year you're submitting. So what's in a what's in a writer's packet then? Then it was like three sketches, two pages of monologue jokes, something like that. Very simple. Uh, I get asked a lot about premises. Um, like, what does that mean? Uh, students would be like, I, should I be submitting premises? And what does that mean? I think that's just a pitch for a sketch. I have right. heard the word use, premises used in place of setups. Ah, okay. I, I don't know where that came from. So like a good example of a premise would be... Yeah, well, like, uh, Eric Adams was sworn in as New York City's mayor. That's not what premise means. Right. That's a setup. Uh-huh, okay. Premise, I would think, would be a pitch for a sketch. Right. But you so... know, the language is a mess. The language around comedy writing is a mess. Ah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. It, yeah, that's been one of the minor annoyances along the way. Yeah, I have when I have students that want to, you know, submit or, you know, and they ask me questions, 
even though I'm not really teaching sketch right now, it's, um, it's, uh, <laughs> sometimes I go back to what I remember the uh, old packets were when we were, and then of course it's always Twitter. So I, I say premises and then they always like, what does that mean? <laughs> But I like I don't I don't know. Just it's, it's a pitch, basically. It's a sketch pitch. Guy walks into a bar. And bar is is made of glass, huh? Put that put that on your show. There's something there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you're 37 and you've been submitting jokes. More and more getting on. Submitting packets every week. Um, yeah. One year, I decide this is never going to happen. I'm not submitting right. a packet this year. Fuck it. I got mm -hmm. mad and pissy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I went. I had gone to a wedding in Scotland. Our buddy Mike Lacavera. Do you remember him? Oh yeah. Mike Lacavera was getting married in Scotland. Um, right on. And I got a call while I was in Scotland from someone at SNL. I don't remember who it was. And they said, hey, where's your packet? <laughs> We're looking to hire people. I didn't send one. And they're like, wow. Can you come in for an interview? Uh, yes. So I had to fly back to LA to then fly to New York and have this interview, which turned out to be I was the guy that was already hired. Uh -huh. Go in, it's an interview. It's like Steve Higgins and Shoemaker. And I can't remember mm -hmm. someone else was there. And they started you know, just sort of asking me, like, so can you live in New York? Or did you buy a house in L.A.? Stuff like that. <clears throat> and then Tina Fey came in and she was like, oh, hi, sorry, I shouldn't be here. I should recuse myself. <laughs> this is the guy I want to hire. And then she left. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I was like, oh, great. That's how it works. So I was super hired on the spot. Well, at that point, everybody, everybody involved as as far as I knew, knew how tremendously funny you are and how, how, you, how I, in my opinion, you were just born to do this and you get hired. So you're, so when you're hired at SNL and you, are you, are you writing sketches or are you just hired as a weekend update writer? This is where you meet Seth. Eventually. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, at the, at that time, it, then it was Tina and Amy. Jimmy had just left. So Tina and Amy had taken over Update, and I was a staff writer for Update. So you would go in Monday and write three pages of jokes and go home. Yeah, you're in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> you write three pages a day. Three pages, wow. For five days. And what do you have? I remember hearing about people that would write for Update, and they would have newspapers all over the ground and shit. That's like older days, I think they would do that. Right. Um, at this point, they had an associate producer, the great Scott Weinstein, who would come in earlier than you and compile setups. So you would get like a worksheet hmm. that had all the major news stories uh, phrased as joke setups. Wow. They would hand that to you when you walked in, and you would like sit there and puzzle over it all day long and drink Coke and smoke cigarettes in your office mm -hmm. and eat garbage food. Back when you could smoke, smoke in your office. Yeah, well, that lasted a year. Yeah, uh, but it was a good year. It was good. I don't remember much. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so you just write, you just create material all week long and then there'd be a great culling. 
How many writers are write for a weekend update? So at that time, there were three staff writers, and then there was a, a producer, a weekend update producer, who also wrote. Hmm. And uh, he was a great inspiration, Charlie Grandy, who then went hmm. on to The Office and uh, a couple other NBC sitcoms. He was a, you know, a nice Harvard boy. Hmm. Uh, and he, <laughs> I remember he had a sign on his office wall that just said, type or die. Wow. I was like, oh, that is it. That is this job. You just right. generate, because you don't know what the fuck Lauren wants or a host wants, what mm. Tina's going to want versus what Amy's going to want. So it's like, just generate as much as you can. Right. Be, be the one standing at the end of the week. Be the one standing at the end of the week. So in the room, so among the three or four writers writing just for update, you are all competing to get jokes on? So update, by the time it's done... There's a couple of features, you know, a couple of characters that roll out and they do their bits. And that is, is that brought to you by the performer? That's brought to you by the performer or one of the sketch writers. So that comes okay. from outside of update. That wasn't generated mm -hmm. in the room. We were okay. just writing the jokes. And there would be, on an average update, there's 12 or 15 jokes. And you, right. you know, in the course of your week, you have written... 120 each. And at this point, are you thinking, I have to write this in so-and-so's voice or am i just writing the joke i knew enough going in uh yeah. thanks to you know the multiple boot camps that we all went through right and i was like okay this has to be something you know tina's not going to say it if it makes tina look bad if it makes women look bad you know i've had so many <laughs> things to consider right into every joke that eventually you just start you know i cut out little pictures of tina and amy and put them on the computer so mm -hmm. i could look at them and like yeah. read my joke and go okay would this come out of her mouth yeah mm -hmm. maybe okay put it in that's cool um it's still a good like thing to return to when i get stuck I'll just like I'll find a picture of Seth and be like, okay, mm, yeah, that sounds weird from him. Okay, don't do it. Mm. Or that that would work. But yeah, somehow just looking at their faces helps me hear the joke in their voice. That's super cool. I think that's that's great advice for anybody. Yeah, and just any mechanism that helps you click into it. What are some other tricks? I mean, actually just reading them out loud mm -hmm. to yourself helps because I think so many writers don't do that because they're in writer brain. Um, right. They, especially younger writers, and I found this with my own staff, they'll write a sentence and I'll look at it and I'll be like, if someone said this out loud, they would run out of breath. Or this is a tongue twister. You know, you can't, those four words in a row are impossible to say out loud without fucking up. Mm. You have to read, right. you know, this is written to be said. Are you considering, are you considering time? In like a tempo and rhythm sense. Right. You know, some jokes are great, but they have three extra words, so they don't work. Wow. This is a great idea, but when you say it, the rhythm is off and it clunks. So when you get hired for the first time, that must be... Like, especially at 37, when you've seen the world a little bit. Yeah. You know, the the money we were making in L.A. <laughs> and then you like, pass through this membrane and suddenly, you know, you're making a, what a middle middle school principal makes. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh, my life is different now. 
dying of anxiety and stress in LA because I had debts of like $8,000. Yeah. And then suddenly I was like, right. oh, I can pay that back in two months. Yeah. Without a, a <laughs> dent in my new lifestyle. It really was like passing through a membrane into a, a, wow. a, a different life. Yeah. I remember, and I was just like, it's about fucking time when Alex Bayes got hired. Seth, when do you meet Seth? And to Seth Myers, he must have thought the same thing I thought, which is like, I want, I want this guy to write for me. I don't think anybody meets you and doesn't think I want this guy to write for me. He very, thank you. Um, he did very nicely say that. Uh, <laughs> he was, I think, I'm trying to remember the timelines now. I think Tina stopped being the head writer when she took Update. Okay. Um, and then Seth became the head writer. Right. Um, so I knew him, but didn't work with him for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, until uh, Tina left. Yeah, because he was a sketch performer at first, and sketch performer, and you know, by his own admission, second to last <laughs> in terms of how good he was at it uh, mm-hmm. on that show. Uh, yeah, you know, it was Murderers Row. Yeah, who was on it? It was it was Will and Tina. Forte and Will Ferrell. Oh and right, Sedakis and like it was like Fred Armisen. Yeah, Bill right. Hader. It was just the best of the best sketch performers. Yeah. And you know, but he was the best sketch writer. He might be the best sketch writer I've ever met. Right and, on. and just like a Yeah, he has like that savant sense of how to structure a sketch and what comes next and what needs to go and what needs to stay. Um so, you know, he was brilliant on that end. And he got update um and i was just there and it hmm. kind of was just a reenactment of what happened with tina which is like he just liked my jokes the best and so mm-hmm. he sort of became you know we worked super closely at update i was the head writer for update at that point and then i became the producer of update what does that mean to go from head writer to producer in practical terms almost nothing <laughs> except that you had one meeting with lauren every week I didn't meet Lauren until my fifth year at SNL. Wow. I didn't meet him. It's not that we didn't hang out. I wasn't introduced to him. Um, Hmm. And then I was walking down the hallway one day and he walked by and you never like said, hey, Lauren, when he walked by, you just, you know, you keep walking. (laughs) Do you have to avert your gaze? If he's walking in the same hallway as a writer, it's fully an accident. Like something, somebody his assistant fucked up or something. Uh, <laughs> but he said to me, like, you're Bayes, right? And I was like, oh, uh, yes. And I was like, oh, I'm getting fired. And he's like, okay. And that was it. And then three hours later, my phone rang. And it was like, Lauren wants to meet you. <laughs> I was like, okay. Were you still thinking you were getting fired? I was just like, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I was asking people left and right, what does this mean? What do you think? Is he a scary, is he a scary, like, dude? Does, does he have that kind of presence that's like... <gasps> yeah. I mean, part of it is that he, you know, at that point, he controls every part of your fate. Right. Yeah. He's God. He could control the rest of your career if it goes well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he has that sort of breezy 
billionaire thing where sure. he's like look nothing's important to me mm -hmm. i understand everything is life or death for you but i'm gonna pretend it's all casual <laughs> um you know it's very if you watch succession oh yeah he's got a real logan roy vibe without the rage wow okay it's just like i'm gonna get everything i want so there's no reason for me to get worked up Mm-hmm. so yeah, when you become producer of Update, you have a Friday night meeting with Lorne, which mm -hmm. could mean 7 p.m., 8 p.m., or 1 a.m., yep. whenever he's done and mm -hmm. ready for you. And you don't go home before that. <laughs> um, you wait for Lorne. And the meeting mm -hmm. could be like, so what features do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, we're going to do a drunk uncle and a Stefan. Okay, great. See you tomorrow. Or it could be him like a little buzzed from dinner at the palm and he would talk to you for an hour and a half about world war one it was mm. very it was uh echoes of dell yeah i was just gonna say that like this guy's not crazy but he does know that he can do whatever he wants mm -hmm. <laughs> i bet there were good stories about world always war good stories and always name dropping in world war one people <laughs> no, no his celebrity friends um, which is how could he not name drop he just walks in an elevator and he, he's hanging out with like Paul McCartney and I know, but he did it in a way where you could tell there's some some fanboy left in him. Oh, well that's good. I had dinner last night with Paul McCartney. And you're like, Okay. Yeah, of course yeah, we understand that you he had dinner with Lauren Michaels. Did you know that? Um it's it's a little bit adorable. But he's like Yeah, that's good. That's nice. Everyone who has experiences with him, has different experiences with him. My feeling was that he was always like a sweet father. Right. To me, like a sweet, distant father. Yeah. You know, he wants you to succeed. He won't mm -hmm. tell you how. Mm. Um, because then he, he, I think he feels like that's cheating. Mm -hmm. He'll say like, what do you want to do here? And you tell him and he'll go, mm, I don't like that. But he won't tell you mm. what to do. Um, so like, I, I don't want to be the puppet master. I just I will <laughs> frown when the puppets are bad. And then you was guys th figure it out. <laughs> was that, um, was, you know, I hear obviously a lot of different stories about people's experiences at SNL. Um, was it, was it as stressful as some people make it sound or, or what was your experience in general? My experience in general, and I think the atmosphere there was newly tidied when I got there. How, how do you mean? I think it was, you know, a raucous, right. uh, problematic boys club. And then mm. Tina became the head writer. And then right. there were systems for everything. Mm. Um, there were, you know, quotas and meetings <laughs> and time limits and no more smoking and you know things got not corporatized but neat it got tidy mm -hmm. and so conflicts like sort of were backgrounded and it was really more about like it was cooperative when i was there that's good that's how i felt I, you know got who knows what's going on two offices away right but what I felt inside of Update was that we were all cooperating and doing our best to make, you know, make a good update. And, you know, a W is a W, and we high-five. 
and uh, and if you know if we lose, we all lose. There wasn't like a cutthroat vibe, certainly not inside. And update is very insular. It really <clears throat> is like a play within a play. You don't wow don't interact that much with the other writers. Who else is like who is the tight Seth crew for update? Um, it was initially it was me. It was Doug Abels who uh, was the producer in the interim <clears throat> between me and Charlie. Um, and there were you know a couple or three writers who cycled in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ended with me and this guy Josh Patton and Pete Schultz who are still there, and they're <clears throat> both fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good people. You know, that comes down from Seth. Like he has no tolerance for ego or, you know, petty competition, like healthy competition. Great. Right. You know, undercutting. Um, he is really uh, an all-American that way mm-hmm. in the classic sense. He's like, oh, you guys, we're all on the same team trying to do the same thing. And uh, mm-hmm. we're going to act like it. And he's, uh, you know, very much sets the example as far as that goes. I wonder if some of that teamwork idea got in through his improv experience. Absolutely. I mean, he, you know, his improv experience was mostly in Amsterdam. Right. At Boom Chicago. Chicago. So it yeah. was, they were super tight. Yeah. You know, they were a group of Americans in a foreign country <laughs> trying to do theater in English. And now that place is, is freaking huge. Huge. Yeah, and a lot of huge names have come out of there. Do you have an update moment that's like a huge highlight for you? Um, I had a couple. My favorite was that I, just while I was still faxing, I had the first update joke, the very first update joke after 9-11. Wow. Came back three weeks after 9-11, I think. And I remember that show. Sure. And yeah, and yeah, Giuliani was there with all Giuliani, the all the cops. Yep. Yeah, the whole thing. And then you know it was very awkward. And then it came to Weekend Update, and uh, my joke was the first joke that I had faxed. So I'm watching Holy it from L.A. Way. In L.A., watching it, and I was like, "Oh shit, they're opening Update with my joke." This is wow. Great. What was the joke? It was not a good joke. It was okay. fine. It was the right joke at the time. <laughs> you know, tasteful. Tasteful, not really about the thing, but kind of about mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about the, the setup was that um, U.S. forces were looking for Osama bin Laden, and they expect that he is somewhere where he will not encounter people, or some version of that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so their searching theaters showing the movie Glitter. <laughs> which i worked on so hard (laughs) did you did you go through a bunch before you landed on glitter glitter was a mariah carey movie for those of you that don't know it was the absolute go-to flop joke yes forever what is now that i mean it's hard to it's harder now right right because there's no flopping what does that even mean except movies flop and you they have weird titles yeah. yeah, like we tried, we tried to do Mordecai jokes for a while. <laughs> that Johnny uh, Depp movie. Thing is, nobody's heard of it. Problem with flop jokes is like the movie flops. They don't know about the movie. Right, and then they don't really know 
yeah, if the movie flops, nobody knows about the, the movie. movie. Unless it's like a huge star and there was a lot of talk, like right. which was the case with Glitter. And remember, Lone Ranger was one of them for a while. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That was supposed yeah, to be Lone a big Ranger. deal, and then it went nowhere. Chappie. Yeah. Chappie, yeah. I thought yeah. Chappie was going to be good. It was just fun to say Chappie. <laughs> That's you're on the that show, and it's the first joke. I've, that's amazing. Very Where, proud because I was like, I know you have to address the thing, but the punchline yeah. has to be about something else entirely. And I like was doing a lot of like alchemy in my little lab that week, mm -hmm. trying to like find all the perfect touch points. And uh, I was like, this joke is dumb, but it's right. It's fucking funny. It's gonna fit right it's there. It's still funny for those of us that remember glitter. Uh, for all the glitter heads. So then, Seth and you go off to create what is now. Um, I am at Weekend Update doing my little job, mm -hmm. and um, somebody goes, "Hey, uh, Shoemaker wants to see you." Now, Michael Shoemaker is the producer at. Uh, SNL at the time. Okay. Um, then he went on to be the, the producer for Late Night with Jamie Fallon. Mm -hmm. He called me in to his office. I go in there and he and Seth are both in there and they're both grinning at me. And I'm like, what's mm -hmm. going on? And I'm like, yeah. well, Lauren wants to give me Late Night. Uh, and wow. then first it's a long discussion about whether or not he should take it. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm like, yes. Of course you take it. Um, yeah. He had been offered the uh, spot with uh, Kathy Lee. Or uh, what's her name? Ripa. And I was like, you can't go to daytime because no. you don't get to, you don't come back. Right. Once you go to daytime, you can't go back to nighttime. I was like, you have to take late night. And he was like, okay. Um, will you be the head writer if we do? And I was like, yes. And then we, wow. we were doing that. So we had like two weeks off between the end. And how old are you at this point? You're 40. Uh, it was eight years ago. So I'm 47, 48. Man. And is everybody there? How, uh, I guess age. Seth is probably what? My, our age? Or is so now 48. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Shoemaker's a little older than me. Okay, so so you're like, you got to do it. Will you be head writer? And then... And then we go uh, do it. We have two weeks off between Seth's last SNL and his first late night. Which wow. Is insane. And I think he hosted the Emmys that same year. Oh, my God. And who was your first, who was your first guest? Um, Amy Poehler. Ah, of course. George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> was the first show <laughs> was that game of thrones a thing it was a good get at the time was it was he was that show on it was on i think wow. it was like second year maybe so it was super hot yep yeah so chaos um trying to create a late night show from scratch <laughs> And are you are you thinking we want to do something different? We want to do we did yeah. the same fucking thing everybody does when they get a talk show, right? Is they go, <laughs> they have a whole career worth of stuff they've already done usually, right? Mm -hmm. And they get there and they go, you know what? I'm gonna do it completely different. And then <laughs> they spend two years 
you know, Lauren told him when he started, he's like, look, it'll be 18 months before you figure it out. Mm. And we were all like, whatever, old man. And then it was like literally 18 months yeah. before we were like, hey, why don't you just do the so monologue? What, were, the what were some of the... <laughs> the first big mistake was a standing monologue. Like, we're going to have him come out and do the standing, old-fashioned Johnny Carson monologue, right? Uh-huh. Which he's never done in his life. He barely done any stand-up at that point. Right. And he just looked like, you know, like the police had just turned a Klieg light on him. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. do, like, sketches, like these long sketches um, with writers in them. And our writers, you know, we hired like a lot of really fresh people. Right. Had not been on TV, had not really even much been in sketches. Right. And they were constantly on the show because um, they figured out, you know, oh, you get an extra 300 bucks if you're in a sketch. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you have more than five lines, you get 600 bucks. So they mm -hmm. wrote themselves all these giant sketches, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. just like. You get the talk show, and then you start walking away from who you are uh, until you're lost in the woods, and you pop out somewhere, and you come all the way back around to exactly who you are, and that's what it should have been the whole time. And it takes 18 wow. months. If you stay on the air. The joy of being on at 1230 is that you have that time. Right. Is people are like, oh, oh, this is on still. Oh, oh, he's doing something. He's sitting at the desk now. <laughs> Great. Uh, we had a set that we hated and changed like a year into the show. Uh, yeah, just all the mistakes, uh, yeah. which is great. You know, I going back to Dell again, you know, that's where you make the mistakes and then you figure out how to get out from under them. And that's mm -hmm. entertainment, baby. <laughs> so now it's finally, I feel like he was doing what he wanted to do for years and years. And then the pandemic right. happened. And then I think in isolation, when he was shooting those shows in his attic for nobody, I think he really became just, he was just like, okay, I got nothing. So I'm just going to be who I am. And I mm -hmm. really feel like the last year or so is when the show really became something. Yeah, it has really become something. His point of view is so strong. He's silly now, mm -hmm. which he always mm -hmm. was, just not on TV. And right. it's like, this is, you know, when he would tell us a story in his dressing room and we'd be cackling, like, why aren't you this on TV? You know, he yeah. was so loose and cool. It's like you have nothing to fear. Like you do everything right when you're mm -hmm. entertaining a small group. Just do it out there. And he never could. And I think like losing the suit. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, the way we all lost everything for a while helped. I imagine like meeting celebrities all the time and having to pretend to have varying degrees of interest must be challenging. That part of it. Yes. And that's where Shoemaker was wise early on. It's like, look, we're not going to have anybody on the show that you don't want to talk to. Oh, wow. And we are going to seek out 
guests that nobody cares about that you're interested in. Well, have you had people like that? We've had like comic book artists on. Wow. Had a lot of first novel George. authors. Right on. Um, just this person's interesting to me, so I want to talk to them for six minutes. Was George R. R. Martin one of those people? He was one of those like, hey, Game of Thrones is super hot right now. So Right, right. So Amy was that person. Amy was that person for sure. Right. And she, right. You know, she's been on a million times since then. Mulaney right. is like that. And, you know, right. former SNL cat for a long time, it was like, try not to talk about SNL. And then it became like, you like talking about SNL and you're you glow when you do it. So let's do that. You know, you're the show. Right. Whatever's interesting to you. That's what the show is. Yeah. He's really I mean, from my from the spectator's point of view, I can tell you that it, for lack of a better word, he's really popped. He's really popped. Yeah. I mean, it's just like he. I feel like he's like totally present on that show now, and it's really fun to watch. It's really not anything new. It's just it's who right. he is, and it's, yeah, we just never he could never do it on camera for whatever reason, uh, and now he just can. And it's yeah. like, oh, now it's a fucking it's the easiest job in the world. You know. When you're writing for somebody, you want to know their point of view. You want to know their voice. Right. They're not acting like themselves on TV. That's hard to do. And right. now, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with corrections. No, what's corrections? Corrections I mean, the... is a uh, digital-only piece that Seth does and writes by himself uh, where he addresses the uh, YouTube comment sections. Wow. So people will often point out things we said in Closer Look that aren't accurate or, you know, a joke we made that is wrong or unfair. And so we huh. do like this 12 to 15 minute hilarious piece where he's very much himself um, talking back to these, the people he calls jackals. Um, uh, and it's fantastic. And once he started oh, doing that, I was like, oh, fuck, well, we can do this kind of stuff on TV, too. Um, so I started doing a thing called Surprise Inspection. I call, like, the 15 worst monologue jokes that were submitted to me mm. by our writers, and he'll read those to the audience and make fun of the writers. It's the best. <laughs> He's good at burning people. So I'm like, yeah. just do it on TV. Who cares? It's, you know, it's one, one in the morning. <laughs> It's fun. People want to watch you have fun at one in the morning. They don't want to watch you be sad and scared. <laughs> sad and scared. Maybe. Maybe that's your next show. Sad and scared at one in the morning. That's the show I'm doing when I'm not doing the show. <laughs> that's Alex alone. It's the Alex Bayes show. <laughs> in your head. Uh, 55 years and running. Sad and scared. I want to ask... The point of view, especially the political point of view, is very uh, clear. And I love it, of course. Um, and I love how deep he's gone into it <laughs> and how pointed he is about it. But I wonder, is there ever that thing where, you know, like Carson would straddle both lines and Leno would straddle both both uh, parties there was always that we have one damn joke. We got one Republican joke. <laughs> yeah. It was that it was there ever pressure to do that or no, there was never any network pressure on like point of view. 
Wow, that's great. They never had a word to say about it. Lorne never presses anyone on that. Mm. Um, and, you know, Seth's feeling is if it's true, or I believe it to be true, I'll say it. And if it's not true, you know, there isn't, in, in his slash our opinion, there isn't an equivalency between Republicans and Democrats anymore. Right. Oh, it's a, mm, yeah, it's for fully, sure. fully unbalanced. So yep. to pretend it is, it would be disingenuous, and that's you know doesn't suit our worldview. So we're not going to pretend to do it. Or the opposite of no politics at all. Did you ever consider that? No. Um, no. Yeah. No. It's very sewn into who he is um, to be right. politically astute and aware, and and also right. you know outside of that, there isn't that much to talk about anymore. Right. It really has become centralized in our lives in a way maybe it wasn't when we were younger. Probably mm -hmm. since, like, the Iraq War. I think we right. all were like, oh, we have to pay attention to the government now. Right. Probably forever. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a gulf. But yeah, no, there was never network pressure. There was never... Internally, we're pretty much, you know, all on the same page-ish. Right. Certainly times, you know, Sal Gentile writes The Closer Look. One of our writers that we grabbed from MSNBC, as if you couldn't tell. Oh. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> he writes a draft of The Closer Look that's like 25 pages, 30 pages, the night before or mm -hmm. the morning of the show. Mm -hmm. And then Seth and I will go into it and add jokes and cut sections and things like that. We'll like separately, we'll uh, zhuzh it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll send my version to Seth and he sort of compiles what he thinks. And, you know, sometimes there's disagreement inside of that. And, Seth, you know, Seth is the last word. Right. My feeling is always like, you're the one that has to go on TV and say it. So if you don't want to say X... Don't say X. But yeah, we're all fairly close in our worldview. It's more a matter of like, hey, shouldn't we talk about this topic? That's where, you know, there might be disagreement or pressure internally. Um, hey, we've been talking a lot about January 6th and not enough about global warming. Um, that might be a discussion. But the point of view is pretty much line up. So you're just off? Like, what? what's going to be airing? Uh, reruns, reruns this week. And then next week, I think we do remote shows. That must hurt not to have a show tomorrow night. It does and doesn't. It's right. now, and you know. As we're recording this, it is um, the 5th. And tomorrow night, while we're recording this, is January 6th, the first year anniversary of the storming of the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you, to, to me there's not a whole ton of significance to talk about it on the anniversary we can talk about it monday yeah right we would rather talk about the way other people are talking about it <laughs> um, right the way the two parties are talking about it the way the media is addressing it that's more interesting uh -huh. i would rather do like media criticism then right. talk about like you know hey, the republicans are ba behaving badly like, you know, okay right 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 you know there's angles on all of it yeah so i'm i'm happy to have a couple of days to digest whatever goes down or doesn't go down tomorrow 
and talk about yeah. it on Monday. Fine by me. You think something's going to go down? Oh, something will. I don't know what. Yeah. Um, probably a whole lot of yelling. You think JFK Jr. is going to come back? I don't know. I think there's a pretty good chance. There's a decent chance? I mean, there's, let's go ahead and say 50-50. Never count out a Kennedy. Never say never to JFK Jr. <laughs> it's such a weird one to latch on to. Isn't it? Isn't it? He's going to come back and be like, they're, but he's a Democrat. But he's dead. Don't they want like Ronald Reagan to come back or something? Or John Wayne? <laughs> Why did they pick I don't a know. Dead that's a good that's a, that would, that's that see to figure that one out would lead you into a wormhole that would turn you into that that you become the guy who Let is into the just, wormhole. I'm gonna see what YouTube says about it and then I'll be back. Six weeks later. Come with me. Come with me. Don't ask questions. <laughs> uh Alex, um, what is your advice to the young uh writer that wants to be in working for television not even the young writer just a writer i'll give you the advice that seth always gives when audiences ask that question which is to mm. get with other people who also want that mm -hmm. and work together and make things and put them on the internet put them on stage mm. put them in print whatever you mm -hmm. can do generate and disseminate um, mm. That's my first advice. Nice. Um, beyond that, it's tricky for me because, like, the advice that worked for me is broken now because of all the avenues that exist. Right. But I think the piece of advice that young writers tend to yeah, yeah, is generating material. Um, uh, on Twitter, on the TikTok, on... And make a student film. Facebook. Do you guys check Facebook for funny stuff? Are you looking? <laughs> Not as much anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we, you yeah. know, I we also, I will say, we don't find writers. We find the people who find writers. Right. Like, people get recommended to you. Sure. Um, I, you know, I don't go see comedy anymore because, you know, you hate who it. needs more of that. Because you hate comedy. But you will know people and they'll go, hey, this person wrote for this show. And you'll go, yeah, fuck that person. And then six months later, somebody else will mention that person. And you go, oh. You'll be like, oh. Everybody's talking about that person. How do I get a hold of that person? Or like, oh, Shoemaker just saw the same guy. Oh, interesting. So come to New York. Come to, where do you go? New York, New York or LA? If you want to be a comedy writer for TV, where do you go? New LA or New York? I got, yeah, I don't know. Six of one. Yeah, I mean, so if you're right, if I'm writing, if I'm, uh, if I want to write a, a a show like a, should I have a spec script? And then if I want to be a writer, working writer on TV, I should have a spec script. And should I have, what should I have? Uh, well, there, there's very different avenues to go to, yeah. like sitcom land versus like a late night or a sketch comedy situation. Right. So I don't know how sitcom land works. Right. Um, is there really even sitcoms anymore? There are. There are several that are thriving. Like? There are shows like The Middle. Oh, is that still on the air? Yeah. Neil Flynn, is he still on? And it has huge following. Okay. Um, there are a lot of these shows that like you and I are too cool to watch. I am not too cool to watch it. I'll watch it tonight. I'm going to watch it tonight. And I'm going to tweet about it. 
they do great. Patricia Heaton, is she still on that show? I, I can't tell you who the cast is. I'm not. Come sure. on. I'm not sure anymore. But there's a thriving sitcom land out there that like. Where do they watch it? Where do they? What do you do? In do the you... middle of the country. <laughs> where they wow. Watch it. It, they, there you those go. things live out there like uh you know modern family had a nice life yes uh, big bang theory like the that's a whole world yeah. that i don't understand how you get into it i don't know how it operates right if you want to get into sketch i think la and new york give you equal opportunity mm-hmm. get to one of those places and find people and generate and you know know your strengths and know your weaknesses and don't spend a lot of time swimming around in your weaknesses mm. and if you're bad at improv go home and write <laughs> right uh and vice versa that's my advice uh thank you alex and um how were your holidays oh so bad you went back to arizona i saw yeah, drew that was nice i saw oh, our yeah. drew who's yeah. lovely as always mm-hmm. um and my family stinks Oh, no, I hope they don't hear this. <laughs> Some things never change. Some things never change. Some yeah. things you can't write your way out of. Mm-hmm. Hey, I look forward to... What about, are you going to do anything? Are you staying with the late night thing? What's any any clues of the future? We all know Lauren's leaving in three years. That's public knowledge now. What's happening? We'll have to drag Lauren out of there. He ain't leaving. He's not. He's that's a lie. He's not going to leave. He's not going anywhere. All right, I'm going to stop recording now, Alex Bays. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, Alex Bays. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed that chat, that one-on-one between Pat and Alex Bays. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can support it directly on our page on anchor.fm. If you have questions, concerns, comments, we are centralia at gmail.com. That might be pronounced Gmail, not sure. We're also on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitters. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast.